podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, Edge Rush, which means the one, the only, the legend, prop. Oh, back in the house, man. It feels like feels like ages since I've seen you. It does feel like ages. Um, we haven't done this in a while, but it's because there's literally mm. nothing that we can gamble on in terms of the NFL. The draft, I actually found quite disappointing. Did you did you have a little flutter on the draft? I, I did. Really find many market, markets. Ridiculous bets that were and and very low, uh, very low amounts just to mm. kind of peak interest, particularly in the kind of later rounds when. So I quite liked. I, I think I took following Ben's advice. Uh, number of quarterbacks to go in the first round. So I took the uh, under on that, which obviously worked out quite well. Uh, and little things like that. But um, yeah, very, just dabbled proper. I just dabbled. I'm surprised though, given that you are de- a real degenerate, that you didn't get heavily invested, particularly as you were producing the live radio show for it as well. Yeah, well, it was weird. It was basically because I, I didn't really have, and this is me implying that I do most of the time, but I actually had no idea what was going to happen there. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, the best thing is, I so I stayed up because as, as listeners will well know, me and Ben dropped a show uh, in the morning uh, after the first round, and that is in the vault. If you haven't heard it already, it's a good insight as ever from Ben on winners and losers because we love our winners and losers <laughs> mm. amount of articles and shows that the winners and losers of the drop. Uh, but that's essentially what it was. Uh, so we dropped that, we recorded that in the morning, as you well know, because really worried about your commitment these days you weren't there for that uh although you did obviously produce it and go to bed at six and then edit it at i had stayed up uh to about pick 10 um no yeah. no <laughs> yeah and the reason i couldn't do that as you know but our listeners might not i couldn't do the the live uh show on talk sport was because of uh, other broadcast commitments yeah. right so i had quite a full-on day that day so i just couldn't put an all night it uh, and of course, timed it to perfection <laughs> in terms of the dullest first round ever suddenly blew up after that. So, I mean, it was it was an intriguing draft. Let's get down to, to that because I want to get your perspective on your Bengals in particular and how you feel they've fared and, and maybe kind of broaden that out to, to the north and looking at the competitors there because we haven't really spent a huge amount of time, just a little bit on Baltimore, I guess, but keen to see what you think those guys have done. The International Series Games announced uh, which has uh, piqued a lot of interest, unsurprisingly, on our social channels at the NC Show. In fact, we've got quite a good mailbag rolling. Oh, so we're gonna we're gonna roll out some questions there as well. Look at how the draft and, and obviously free agency effectively concluded now, with, a, with one or two notable exceptions. How that's affected the uh, the early outright markets, and see if you detected anything there as well. So a lot to cram in in the next forty five minutes and change. Most importantly of all. I think it's fair to say the 13th of November proper mm. 2022, all this talk about Tom Brady coming to Germany. Why are people overlooking the most important factor of that game? Drew Locke is coming to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. We've got I mean, to do will something. He? We've got to, yeah. Will he come to Europe? I mean, at the end of the day, 
You say from what I've heard, pra- um, Gino, Gino Smith's <laughs> winning the QB battle from what from what the reports that I've read. And who knows? Whoever, I don't even know who Seattle's third choice is, but who knows what can happen in the preseason? Drew Lock could easily lose that gig, knowing how uh, knowing how he performs. I think he's destined how day? How day? for the CFL. I think he's destined. You know that part like where we see like you switch on that game because you're sad that we don't have any NFL on, and you yeah. switch on that game like I think it's a Johnny Manziel playing in that league and throwing to Terrell Owens. I can't remember what the league's called, but you see those clips coming up on social media, and you're just going to be like, oh, Drew Lock's playing in the CFL. You know, it's just going to be like that. I don't think that could be in the next two years. Um, Jacob yeah, I mean, Eason, by the way, is the third stringer right now. 100% he's better than Drew Locke. You'll find that uh, I've Lock seen number maybe one, number three one Jacob right Eason now. passes, and I think <laughs> I can conclude that he is definitely better than Drew Locke. You see, you're missing it. You're missing a trick or two here, Propo, because they're coming over. If, the, if he comes over, when he comes over, you see, I'm, I'm flying the, the Locke banner. That we're going to be covering that game in one way yeah. or another. I don't know what the broadcast situation is yet, but um, I'm sure that we'll be out there with this show, if not uh, with. Uh, one of the broadcast crews that we work with. Uh, I mean, we're going to be able to get access to Drew. I think I think we should share with him the Drew Lock of the Week. I, I feel we should just be open about it. Do you really? Considering what we've said about him on this show outside of the Drew Lock of the Week. We, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the, the chance of him then going off and listening to the show, I think are minimal, especially going through the vault and going back all, all the way through them. So I think we can take that risk. No, you're right. I mean, all we really want him to do is record the link for the feature because that's what we've been waiting for. That's why we don't have a yeah. jingle for it is because we're waiting for Drew Locke to sing it for us because who knows, he might actually be decent at singing and actually better at that than quarterbacking. I would feel awkward if we suckered Drew Locke into that without knowing what he was getting himself into. <laughs> I would have. That's, I, that'd be that's hilarious. That's the producer in you. You could take care of that. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Drew Locke of the Seahawks was Brady coming uh, over the Munich game. How do you feel about the Munich game? I mean, uh, see, I got excited. I went quite squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you fe- how do you feel about it? I mean, is is oh. it, it clearly excited? But I mean, is it are you looking at that and thinking this is going to be a, a one of those top top? You've covered already covered a lot of ground mm. in your career as a, as a producer already. It, well, do you think this will rank up there? I mean, it's such a great fan base in, in Germany. They've been crying out for a game. And I think it's going to be off the chart, that atmosphere. I think it's going to be incredible. I really, really do. And I think that from just the, I didn't necessarily watch it that much, but from just glimpses in the NFL Europe days of some of the things we saw from Germany, some of the fandom that we saw out there, yeah. I think the atmosphere could be absolutely incredible. And if you look back at the first London game, Mm. That was played here. The excitement that it was generated, it almost felt like a Super Bowl. People who were working on at the time suggested I was watching Good Morning Football and they were kind of doing a throwback um, Mm. to it. And I think you'll have the exact same feeling in Germany. They'll be so excited. The fact that you've got Tom Brady coming, Mm. let alone Drew Locke, you have Tom Brady coming to Munich. I mean, the excitement that will be around him, the fact they won a Super Bowl so recently, you've got stars on both sides of the ball in both teams, I mean, you've got DK Metcalf, if he's still there, you've got Tyler Lockett. And I think obviously having Tom Brady with Chris Godwin, Gronk probably will join them by then, let's be honest. So if you have those people, then that only adds to it. I think that it would be an incredible spectacle, even if you had, say, the Texans playing the Jags. I Mm. honestly think that that's how excited everyone in Munich and everyone in Germany will be about this game. And I'm really excited for it because I think after going, I mean, I've watched games obviously in Miami, I've watched games in LA, I've watched games in London. And I think the more places you bring the NFL and the more arenas you go and see it in is only going to increase your love for the game even more. And I think just Mm. seeing it being done in different environments, like even like we love football now, uh, English football, soccer. And even when you go and watch football abroad, it's always great to see how different cultures do those sports. Like imagine if they brought the, the Dortmund wall 
to the NFL. Well, like, imagine, yeah, imagine if they managed to get that level of atmosphere and create that kind of tension inside the arena. It'd be absolutely incredible. And the way that Germans do sport generally, especially for live events, is actually, I think, superior to the way that they do it in this country. So I think it could be absolutely brilliant. I want a Dortmund wall made up of Raiders fans. A Dortmund wall meets the oh. black hole I, is what I want to see sometime, at some point in my life. Uh, just on the, you mentioned the 2007 game. I was there and it is... It is incredible to think that there have been 30 regular season games since the first one was held. I mean, when I think back to where everybody's head was there, I mean, even the, as the NFL have talked about NFL UK and uh, the terrific Alistair Kirkwood, of course, who, who pioneered and, and was a real uh, trailblazer to get games over here. Uh, has said, you know, on record, I think on this show might have even said it, or certainly on a show that we've done, well, we might have got one four years later. You know, that's what that what, that's what the plan was, right? England, London, UK will get one. And then yeah, four years later, maybe if, and, and, you know, we know where we're at right now. So three games in London and the one in Munich, Viking Saints is first up the 2nd of October. The Saints, of course, who've re-upped and Tyron Matthew coming home. What do you make of that signing? I love that signing. I lo- uh, love the look of that defense now. A hundred percent because they lost Marcus Williams, who went to the Ravens for a lot of money. And I think signing Matthew is a great, great replacement for that because you get not only the level of talent I think Williams has, but you get an added intelligence, you get an added experience, which combined with Cam Jordan on defensive front, that... And you've got Marshall Nathamore also in that defensive backs. I think and Marcus May as well, isn't it? And Marcus May. I think honestly that you this Saints team, which had a little had a couple of questions surrounding it going into this year, obviously without Sean Payton, I think should be pretty confident going into it with this defense. And I think Tyron Matthews is an absolutely sensational pickup. I think the Viking Saints game that will mm. be the most interesting from an on-the-field perspective mm-hmm. when we get round to the London games. I think you've got two teams with new head coaches. You've also got big personalities in the likes of Cam Jordan, Tyron Matthew, and then Justin Jefferson for the Vikings. And I think it's also likely that both these teams will be in the mix for the NFC playoffs. Mm. And you don't really know which side of that they'll be. I think the Vikings have got the capability. Their ceiling is quite high. I think, depending on how Kirk Cousins plays this year, I think that they should have a great opportunity to have quite a lot of success in what is quite a weak NFC. I think Kevin O'Connell coming in as head coach should rejuvenate this team. I think he'll be able to get the best out of Justin Jefferson as he did with Cooper Cup last season. And I think defensively, they have a solid enough unit Mm. to be able to cause problems. And then on the other hand, you've got the Saints who still have the Sean Payton blueprint. They pretty much have four games handed to them on a plate as they go up against the Falcons and the Panthers twice. Yeah. So they're yeah. going to yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're going to be without a shadow of a doubt in the mix as well. So we could actually be witnessing quite a critical matchup between these two mm. teams going into London. That's a great point. I'm I think out of the two, I'm I'm definitely higher on the Saints. I like I like the Saints. I, I really well, as we've talked about defensively, I like the moves that they've made there. There's a lot of upside there. If Thomas is back and is able, which I I think a lot of people are sleeping on him and assuming, well, he's done now. And I think it, this is that for me, they're a classic team of if things click into place, they could be really dangerous. Now there are a lot of teams that even if there are certain elements of it that are underperforming, they're still going to be contenders. And conversely, there are certain teams that can have 
X amount of standouts, but they're not really going to be at the races in terms of playoff contenders. And then there's a cluster of teams that you think if this happens, this happens, this happens, they're in business. They strike me as one of those teams. If Jameis is, and he's putting in the work, I mean, I've seen the videos out on flying around on social this week. That's so funny, those videos. The one where someone's just walking around smacking him while he's smashing him in the ball. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's putting in the hours, Jameis. I mean, did you do the kind of equivalent mental training for Edge Rush? Yeah, what was that? What does that look like? I was actually just thinking we should definitely do a promo for Edge Rush where Mm. I just smack you in the face over and over again (laughs) whilst you're having to make picks for games. I'll just be I'll just be there distracting you, throwing random numbers at you. I love it. Let's minus seven. Let's let's make that first touchdown score. Um, Jameis, I like uh, I like the upside there. You know, I think we we talked about how he matured and Peyton had helped him calm and be a bit more measured and not force the issue which was obviously one of the, the big flaws in his game hence the crazy numbers of touchdown versus uh, the interception ratio is crazy um Kamara one of the great players in the league what they've done in the draft as well at receiver love that so I think they're a dangerous dangerous pick hey let me ask you this question based on what you said on that right Ben Locke has said uh at the NC show hey Ben he said can't go to the Giants-Packers game. More of that in a minute, of course. So you can't make it. Which of the other two would you go for? Uh, so would you, um, based on what you've just said, you're going to suggest yeah. Vikings-Saints ahead of, of watching Dangerous Wilson in action? Uh, the Broncos-Jags, of course, the other game. I think it depends what you're looking for. I think there will be more glamour surrounding the Denver Broncos versus the Jacksonville Jaguars just because Mm. you've got the Trevor Lawrence factor. It's basically the QB Mm. factor. You've got Russell Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, who are two much more marketable stars than the likes of Jameis Winston and Kirk Cousins. And I think there'll be more excitement surrounding that game because the Denver Broncos people believe are genuine Super Bowl contenders. Do you believe Propo there? No, I, I don't think I do now. Why not? Go on, put the case uh, against isn't it? I mean, I really didn't want you to ask me that question because that just, <laughs> just put me, really put me on the spot there. But I, I just think that people are getting slightly overexcited by the Russell Wilson factor. I think if you look what he had in Seattle, he still had DK Metcalf, he still had Tyler Lockett, and mm. he also had a proven coach in Pete Carroll. The offensive line, obviously, is better in Denver, so that gives him an opportunity to have a little bit more time. But as we found out, Loads of times, Russell Wilson usually isn't the best with that time when he gets it, and that is mm. one of his weaknesses. The way they have a, a big, a big increase or a sort of a big advantage over the Seahawks is the defense, and I think that is mm. going to is going to make the Broncos a winning team. I think they will have a winning record, and I think that's largely because Pat Sertan will have a year more under his belt. You've got the likes of Bradley Chubb; they've drafted well on the defensive side of the ball. Mm. But if you're going to, if you're going to list the AFC teams to me mm-hmm. I don't think the Denver Broncos are necessarily in my top five right now that's interesting because the uh, odds I'm looking at right now which is a certain uh, recognizable bookmaker shall we say uh, has them as the third favorites from the AFC to win as an outright right so the Bills are, are the are the favorites narrowly over the Bucks. then you've got the Chiefs the second AFC team and then the Broncos are third at NFC for all the talk of for all the talk of it's a much tougher conference, it's going to be harder to get through. It's amazing how stacked the uh, the NFC teams are in here. They are specifically the Bucks, the Rams, the Packers, intriguingly, uh, are ahead of the 49ers too. Um, but the Packers surprised me that they're so high up on the, on that list. 
Packers is interesting. I also think it's it doesn't really the fact that they've lost probably one of their, if not their best player in Devontae Adams, and the fact that they're still probably similar to odds as to what they were last season going into yeah. the Super Bowl is amazing to me. And I don't I don't think there's pretty much any value there whatsoever. Do you think they do you think people are thinking that Watson, who is quite a raw but big upside player, is in a perfect spot with Rogers? And actually he is one of those players that can really go off and, and not get to Devontae Adams levels, maybe never, but in the first season, of course, but the, the drop-off, because everybody's ragging on that Packers receiver core and it does look slim pickings, right? Randall yeah. Cobb's great, but he's 55 years old and, you know, yeah. they've got Sammy Watkins, who's also 55 years, you know, it's it's quite a kind of vet-heavy seen the better days, but then maybe is, are people big on Watson kicking off? Are they going to make a move? Do you think? I mean, there's not much out there now. Yeah. There? Who are they going to make a move on? I don't really know. To be honest, I think, I don't know why the green Bay Packers are that short. The only argument you could make is that their defense is going to be really strong. They drop right. really well on the defensive side of the ball. Right. They'll obviously have Jerry Alexander, who's one of the best corners, if not the best corner in the game. So they're mm-hmm. going to be strong on that side of the ball as well. They still got a very good run game with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones. And hopefully, hopefully mm-hmm. they will have, um, David Bakhtiari back for the majority of the season as well. And obviously when you've got Aaron Rodgers, you're always going to have a chance. And in terms of the NFC having quite a few teams at the top of the Super Bowl odds in terms of being the favourites, I think that's because it's an incredibly top-heavy division. You mm. have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Green Bay Packers, the Los Angeles Rams, and then there's quite a big drop-off. UK, you've got the 49ers, but then after that, there's a massive drop-off to sort of the next best team. And mm. I think that in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, the Packers and the Rams, you've got three really, really good teams who should comfortably win their divisions with what's going on in Arizona right now and what's going on in San Francisco. Like Los Angeles Rams look like a shoe-in to win that NFC West uh, once again because the other two seem to be in disarray to a certain extent. And I think that with Green Bay... I don't think they're the kind of team, if they couldn't do it last year Mm. when they had Devontae Adams, I would be very hesitant to back them this year, especially at that shorter price. Yeah. Because they haven't improved, in my opinion, as a team going into this year. So why would you be backing them at the same level when other teams around them have improved? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, just thinking of the Watson deal leads me back to our Twitter feed at the nc show we're on twitter facebook instagram tiktok no 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 no. you know mike's Not been yet. mike's been lobbying for that right do you yeah well mike's that? i actually kind of i want i can mike just run it would that be possible that's what, wants, that, that's what he wants that's what he wants you know to do? How to I think it? be brilliant i think we should just do that it, it would be that classic thing where he would be doing he'd think he's like we would send him to like a practice so when the london teams came over yeah and he'd think he'd be filming one of the players warming up and he'd be filming himself <laughs> on a selfie you know yes. that it, that <laughs> <laughs> what he do it like yeah. uh, at my wedding my dad at one point had uh, uh control of uh filming not on a phone this is a pre uh pre-filming on mobile phones this was like an old school video camera um and the champagne was flowing at my wedding propo i think it's fair nice. to say and thanks for the invite didn't know each other. So quite, quite difficult to invite you when I didn't know. And probably when I got married, you were, I don't know, 11, I'm sure. Um, propo, uh, sorry, my dad was filming. And looking back at the footage, some really good stuff captured, like lots of, you know, fun, captured the moment, good laugh. 
there's about two minutes of him filming the pavement, <laughs> which, <laughs> but not that he left it on. He was having a conversation. I'm not sure what was going. We never really quite got to the bottom of uh, of the surrealist part of our of our wedding video. But there you go. Uh, so sorry, just back on uh, on to love Carlson to do our TikTok. By the way, let us know whether maybe we should just put it out to to our listeners. Uh, what do you think? Tap us up, and if you think we should just hand over TikTok to Carlson. Because frankly, proper, you've done nothing with it. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I, no, think, I'm not I think a fan. I don't even have my own TikTok. I don't even know. I don't really know what TikTok is. You now. don't know what it is, do you? Yeah, I don't really know. What <laughs> you it don't is. actually know what it is. <laughs> yeah. We we got to get it sorted. We are gonna. We are in all seriousness going to be uh, launching a, a bunch of new things. Maybe TikTok. I think that's still we're on the fence about that. We are going to be launching a new fantasy pod, though. Excitingly, with our with our new partners, DraftKings. So that is coming imminently. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And we've got some. Interesting ideas, don't we, for, for next season, the formats and different things we're going to bring in. So there's going to be more, I think, is what we're saying. Mm. Watch that. Watch this space. Uh, so l- linking back to that Watson question and on to Twitter, this is one from D Rambo, D Rambo 12. Which rookie receiver, he asks, landed in the best spot in this year's draft? Which rookie receiver landed in the best spot. So I guess you've got to look at a couple of things, right? Obviously, situations where you've landed with a contender, that's obviously Mm -hmm. a good thing. But also you might not have landed with a contender, Drake London, for example, but you're going to be filling your boots and you're going to be the main guy and your profile, if things got a plan, is going to go through the roof. So lots of different things to factor in here. I mean, the first receiver off the board was was Drake London. There was a run of them, right? So Garrett Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jameson Williams. What do you make of the Jameson Williams pick to Detroit? Do you like it? I do like it just because what I like about Detroit is it seems to be there's a couple of teams, which I'd probably put Detroit Lions and the New York Giants in this, who are preparing for next year's draft with this right. year's draft, where basically what they're doing is, is they're creating an appealing destination for a quarterback, which means that once they have a quarterback there, they would have already had a decent foundation for them to succeed. Because I think what you've seen with the likes maybe of Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence last year was they came in and everything around them wasn't working. So how are you expecting them to work when when everything around them is poor in itself? So I think what those two teams are doing, the direct opposite, where they're providing a great foundation for quarterbacks to come in Mm -hmm. and then have an easier route into the league because they'll have elite wide receivers. They also already have St. Brown there at Detroit. They've got Mm -hmm. Penny Sewell, who they drafted last year as well, to Mm -hmm. give them some protection. So I think they've got a decent offensive line. All they need to do is add a weapon. If Jefferson Williams, I don't know necessarily that much about him and what his talent level could be or how high a ceiling could be. But if he is a genuine number two slash number one receiver that can allow whoever the quarterback is next year to succeed, then I think it's a great pick. Ben's big on him. You know, we we joke about it a lot on this show, don't we? The amount of... Uh, college football experts that come out of the woodwork around draft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> draft I can't, like I'm this. not going to admit that I am one. I, 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 I suppose it was a, a question the term in the sense of the reach and the narrative that they've reached for him. And it's mm. a gamble, but by all accounts, it's a good spot for him, I think, because the pressure will be off. Relatively speaking, he can be the main guy there. Uh, I like that. I like that pick personally. Alave, of course, went ahead of him to the Saints. Um, who else went in the first round? Dotson to the commander, the commander's. Traylon Burks, yeah. So he, again, he's going to be front and center. Traylon Burks, obviously, given uh, the uh, revolving door there as well. Um, and then, of course, Watson was the, the first receiver off the board in the second round, and there's a bit of a drop. So I guess we'll factor those in. Or maybe, you know, 
Thornton to the Patriots. I guess he's going to, he's starting to, uh, Sky Moore, I guess you probably want to look at because he could be a, yeah, there seems to be a lot of buzz about Sky Moore filling that, that Tyreek Hill void. So what, what do you think? I mean, I, I do like the Sky Moore pick a lot. Yeah, I don't know that's if my just, one. Is it? Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, that's got to be the one because what you've got in Christian Watson, the only reason why I think that necessarily isn't my number one destination for a rookie wide receiver is because there's a lot more pressure on him than they say is on Sky Moore because Watson's got to go in there and perform. Yes, you've got Randall Cobb, you've got Sammy Watkins, but people are going to be looking to Christian Watson to be getting a lot of that output and he's going to need to go in there sort of week one, week two and deliver for the Packers to succeed because you're not going to not have Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball and he's got to throw the ball to someone. Who so else? Yeah, Alan Lazard. That's all I'm just going to throw. Alan Lazard. <laughs> no, I, yeah. See, I mean, I like Alan Lazard. I've probably put him in quite a few of my prop bets in mm. uh, on this show. And I do I do rate him, but I don't think he will be someone that is going to immediately become a number one wide receiver. Whereas I think they genuinely will look to Watson mm. to take quite a significant amount of the load, which I think is great when you've got Aaron Rodgers throwing to you. But I think that becomes quite a dark place if he, say, drops a couple, which a lot of the rookie wide receivers would be allowed to do. Aaron Rodgers is not going to let Watson drop a couple of these passes. He's going to have mm. to work really hard. And I think there is that pressure on him. And as I've probably said, I don't know necessarily if the, I consider the Green Bay Packers, as of right now, serious Super Bowl contenders. Mm. Whereas the Kansas City Chiefs, when you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've always got a chance. I think their wide receiver room is a little bit deeper with Vadis Scantling, obviously straight from the... Um, straight from the Packers and then you've obviously got Juju Smith-Schuster and of course Travis Kelsey one of if not the best tight end in the league so Sky Moore's going to go into that mm. with a one of the most if not the most talented quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes one of the most creative offensive minds in Andy Reid and also not having that level of pressure to succeed immediately and to be one of the main guys immediately because mm. you've got Juju Smith-Schuster, Valdez Scantling, who will be keen to impress because it's a new team. And you've also got Travis Kelsey, who's always a great fullback option. Yeah. So I think Sky Moore in terms of walking into somewhere and immediately being like, this is the right place for me. And especially because he can kind of fit that role that Tyreek Hill was playing and they can rely on his speed and they can utilise his speed with how well Patrick Mahomes can throw the deep ball. I mm. think if you compare, I think I prefer that for a destination for him than somewhere like Drake London, where you're going to be the main guy, but you've got Marcus Mariota throwing to you. So it's harder to, to look good and to really succeed. And similar to Traylon Burks, like Traylon Burks is going to have a rough one just because he's going to be compared to AJ Brown. They literally did a direct yeah. shot for AJ Brown and there's no way that he's going to be able to produce what AJ Brown did at the peak of his Titans career. So I think that's quite a rough situation to go to, especially because the Titans now, mm. we're going to get into them in a bit. They seem to be all over the place, considering that they are a number one seed in the AFC. I don't know what is going on there. Let's get into them now then. Just just uh, for clarity, Watson would be would be my pick there. For uh, You make a good argument, and I accept the, the pressure factor could be quite interesting. And and realize why that's why you've gone sky more. But I just think Rogers is going to be looking to a, he'll be mixing it up a bit more because obviously Devontae Adams got 87% of all targets and uh, mm. he's going to share the load. I just think he will roll in benefit from that connection and, and hit the ground running in a contending team. So when I look at all of them, I do like Garrett Wilson to the jets because I think, uh, you know, I think that the, as a longer term play, that might be the best upside because I love what the Jets are doing there and 100%. Pro- providing Zach, Zach. Yeah, I mean, Zach Wait, did you can... just say that? Did you, did you hear what you just said? It's weird, isn't it? 
Love what the Jets are doing. I'm loving what the Jets are doing there. It's weird. I feel strange saying it coming out of my mouth. I will probably live to regret it. You will probably clip <laughs> that up and drop that throughout the course of the season is there. Oh, and 11. But I do, I do. And I know look, it's not exactly a hot take, right? I mean, I think everybody loved what the Jets did in the draft. But it's more than that, though. I've always liked Salah. I'm glad he got the shot. I like the, the style of team that is being built there. And I'm not as down on Zach Wilson as other people are. I mean, he had a stinker of a season, but I think, as you rightly said, there are all kinds of contributing factors. And let's just call our cool. Oh, no, I almost went there. I almost said cool our Jets. <laughs> uh, but I think we just need to, as you know, I'm a big fan of patience. I'm a big fan of letting things breathe a bit. And I think he could be a, a really emerging player this season, Zach Wilson. I, I'm certainly happy to happy to give him a bit of time to, to develop and not writing him off yet. Hey, but let's talk about the Titans because that is a big story, of course, that has broken in the last couple of days. Ryan Tannehill in a presser being pretty dogmatic and unequivocal about the Malik Willis draft and Malik Willis coming in as the apprentice and a potentially leader of the team in waiting and said, this is Tannehill said, uh, well, I'm not here to mentor him. I'm not here to mentor him. If he, if he learns from me, great in training, but I'm not here to, that's not my job. I'm absolutely fine with Tannehill saying this. I'm mm-hmm. absolutely fine. I'm surprised at the amount of flack he's been getting. And of course you've mm-hmm. got the, uh, the, the hot take shows that are just finding stuff to talk about and overreacting wildly, but also on social media, you're going to get that type of sentiment. What kind of leader is he, you know, and how dare that you're supposed to be a leader of the team. I'm completely fine with it. Firstly, when you actually look at the footage and and look at it in context, which I'm sure a lot of people haven't when they've they've Mm -hmm. jumped on him, he's effectively saying, that's not my job in the sense that it's, and and it's not his job. Mm -hmm. His job is to lead the team, to make the team as competitive as possible on the field and to concentrate on that and to be studying the playbook and to be linking up with his receivers. And that's his job, not to divert time from that to mentoring a player that may or may not make it. It's got nothing to do, I think, with, well, leaders look at, I mean, a lot of people are saying, look at Alex Smith and Mahomes. Well, Alex, the situation was completely different there. Alex Smith knew that he was essentially a placeholder while Mahomes was, Malik Willis was taken much lower. It's more of a developmental project. Tannehill's been bossing that. And Alex Smith, I know, was a good quarterback in Kansas City, but Tannehill is suffering definitely from uh, what happened last season and the way mm-hmm. that they flamed out and he flamed out. Everyone's forgetting how instrumental a part of this Titans offense he's been. I'm completely fine with him saying, it's my gig. I'm the starter. It's my gig. My gig is to make this team as effective as possible on the field. Last time I checked, Malik Willis wasn't on the field. Crazy overreaction. Everyone I feel needs, needs to back off. That's where I'm at. What about you? I think it's it's a demonstration that the Titans organization is in a little bit of disarray as a result of that Bengals loss in the playoffs. Mm. And I think that if you listen to other things that Ryan Tunnell has said in that press conference, he spoke very, very eloquently about his mental health issues following that loss. And it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like the Titans were very supportive of him and they kind of allowed him to kind of get into a hole or like a black hole of sort of where yeah. just he didn't sleep, he had issues and he he took the responsibility of that loss completely on his shoulders and yeah. there didn't seem to be enough support for him surrounding that. And I think you can understand why. I think you can understand why he he took down his shoulders because at the end of the day, it was it was largely his mistakes which cost them the game. And I think that the defense played really well, and the defense is going to look similar going into this season. But what you see now with Ryan Tannehill 
after that performance is you've effectively seen the Titans kind of give up on winning now, in my opinion, because I think if you demonstrate mm-hmm. the fact they're not going to pay AJ Brown that amount of money, I understand it was a ludicrous amount of money, mm-hmm. but if you're essentially going to trade AJ Brown for Traylon Burks and not pay him the money, you're basically saying, okay, well, we're not going to, right. We're not going to invest now. And that's bucking the trend in the future, in the future, which is, as we know, many teams are going in now. And that's very much a, a new development in the NFL that typically didn't happen saying at all but rarely happen and increasingly teams is, is lots of examples obviously where they're looking at and thinking this is our window forget the future we're all in now and the, the the titans in principle are in that space they have been a consistently a playoff team for the last couple of years and they had the opportunity to keep one of the best receivers in the league and possibly overpaying him if you're looking at mm-hmm. Belichickian style projection, but age of player value over the years. Like I get it, but that was a win now moment for sure. So I think you're spot on. I think that deal alone demonstrates, yeah, then they're, they're not, they're not serious or they don't really feel they got serious chance this year. No. And they didn't, they didn't discuss any of it. Ryan Tunnell, he said he was surprised by the AJ Brown trade. He was surprised I think we can we can infer that he was surprised by them taking Malik Willis. It doesn't sound like they communicated that with him. Mm-hmm. And I think you can see that he feels like the organisation is essentially bailing out on him mm-hmm. and they're going to utilise him now as a placeholder without ever really mm-hmm. communicating that with him when mm-hmm. he feels he's led this team to a number one seed, he's led this team to an AFC championship game when no one really expected them to. And yet just because of one bad playoff loss against Cincinnati Bengals where he did have a stinker, let's be honest, that they're going to completely... Write him off. It, yeah. It's a great. Oh, it's a great point. So, if that communication had happened, of flipping it right, if they'd said, "Listen, you're a guy. You've taken us to places that we've been really comfortable with in terms of making us a contender." Yeah, it was a bad day at the office, but you're a guy going forwards. We're going to draft a. Let's just say it was done retrospectively. He didn't know. Appears on the board reach out to him and say, we've drafted him and sure, this is business and we'll look at him. And But you're our guy at the moment. And uh, being upfront with him about it and what was happening with AJ Brown and everything else, I reckon his reaction might be different. And again, I just want to emphasize, I don't think it was out of order the way, I don't think he was no. really, you know, demonstrative and, and uh, aggressive and saying, I'm not here to, you know. It wasn't think- Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't like that. Exactly. And yeah. Exactly that. And, and I think most quarterbacks would just by the very nature of being an elite athlete holding the top job on the team how competitive it is and how mercenary and cutthroat the nfl is in the other way around and how teams just don't blink and make changes you're absolutely entitled to be i'm the starter that's my gig i'm not here to do all, all of this other stuff if it happens great i you know i i think it's uh, really really sad to see a, a player getting treated like that and and particularly sad to see that he's by no means the only one that that, that element of the business is unsavory you know just getting messed around and 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 it incites the fan base as well they kind of see this and they see what's going on and um and they're they're on on the you know on tannels because certainly a lot of the a lot of the anecdotal evidence i saw on twitter just just looking at like an espn clip and with the reactions there a lot of anti-tannahill sentiment from from particularly from titans fans i'd be interested to hear what Titans fans listening to the show thing at the NC show. Maybe we'll even whack a poll out 
to see whether you still are buying into Tannehill as your starter and is he your guy? Because you're starting to get, oh, let's start Malik Willis. What? Start Malik Willis week one. Mm. I mean, crazy. So I'd like to understand what uh, what the listeners to our show, the Titans fans, are thinking. And actually, you know, Titans fans or otherwise, if you're if you're if you're listening and you have an opinion on Tannehill, let us know at the NC show. Speaking of which, let's go back to Twitter. Uh, love this one from Rakesh. You'll like it too. What are your way too early prop bets for the London games? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is insanely early. I wish the markets were open, but they're not open. But of course, of course, I've got, I've got a cheeky eye on it now. I've always going to have a cheeky, eye, a cheeky eye on it. The uh, the one I'm obviously most excited about, and there was no way I was going to enter this segment without bringing you a tight end with a great name. Yes. Adam Troutman. Adam Troutman. Adam Troutman, the starting New Orleans Saints tight end, or at least he was last year, and I expect him to be this year. Um, and I think he will probably, well, obviously at this point, who knows whether he'll be injured or anything like that, but I like him to go over his receiving yards and to score a touchdown because him and Winston, before their respective injuries, actually developed a great relationship. Mm. And obviously we saw Winston being reined in by Sean Payton. Um, he discouraged to throw deep in the Saints offense. Mm. So I like him to look over the middle a lot and Troutman to be the guy to catch it. So like it. Adam Troutman to score a touchdown is one of my way too early prop bets. Love that. Hey, you know, on um, uh, on that, do you know it's listed under tight end on the Saints depth chart? Uh, Alongside Adam Troutman. Is it... Um, Oh God, I've forgotten his name. That's uh, Hill. Taysom Hill. Is yeah, Taysom Hill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is he? Yeah, that's. I'm sure. That's, well, I was going to say, is that sneaky, uh, sneaky tactics from the Saints? But then I remembered the gazillion power dollar deal that Taysom Hill has already. So I don't think it is. I like. I'll obviously Gronk. Anytime touchdown scorer in Munich, it's got to be. Got to. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, and then to down a beer afterwards. Yeah, Gronk's going to, I mean, that's going to be a difficult thing to keep him in check, right? Yeah, from seriously. Away from the, the loads and loads of media ops trying to put a four pint glass in his hand is surely. Gonna... 100%. And like the biggest brat verse you can find. If they've got a bye week, well, they'll, they'll fly back after the game almost certainly. But I mean, well, I don't know. Would that be part of the Gronk's renegotiation? You might genuinely back? have like Gronk on a leash. Like Brady might have him on a leash, you know, like when he goes over to Munich, like the whole time you just have to like stay within five meters of me at all times, Gronk. I wonder if they'll let, as part of his agent will negotiate when the, the final terms of the deal uh, come back. Oh, there's one more, one more thing we want to, uh, we want, we want to add the day after the Munich game, we, Rob needs that off uh, for, for, <laughs> pers- for personal reasons. So he doesn't fly back with the team and he goes big in Munich. Uh, at least it's Munich and not Berlin. Gronk and Berlin would be a, that would be a sight to behold. Oh, wow. Uh, the, I think, I think it'd be plenty comfortable in Munich. That's for sure. Yeah. The, uh, where are we here? I want to go back on Twitter. Cause there was a lot of love. I do have one more. I do have one more prop bet. And this is oh, me just giving a, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. me giving a little bit of love. Mm. Two. Actually, I'll give a two. I'll give two. I'll give another one who I want to give a little love, bit of love to before the season starts, which is I really, really expect Javante Williams to have a big breakout year. He was excellent mm. last year for the Denver Broncos in his rookie year, had more broken tackles than anyone else in the league while splitting quite a lot of usage with Melvin Gordon. I expect them to invest heavily in him this year. And I think with Russell Wilson, obviously being able to create more in the passing game, that will open more space in the run game. I think he'll get good um, passing yards as well. I think they'll be able to use him in the passing game as well. So I expect 
Javante Williams to have a big game and to show off in London against a Jags defence, which is likely to not be that great from what we've seen in recent years. And the other one, this is just me mm. giving a bit of love to the new New York Giants defensive line and how show-stopping I think it is with mm. Thibodeau and Leonard Williams. Sheesh. Like, I think that D-line for the Giants will be very scary this year. So I'm going to take the over on Aaron Rodgers getting sacked. Oh, like that. And I'm really looking forward to that game in particular because hopefully that's one of the ones I'll do with uh, with OC. Uh, and OC, watching the Giants with that front, I think it's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking that's forward to that, that the most. And uh, I think it could be sack central. You're right. Uh, as far as they are concerned. Right. Let's talk about your Bengals and the, the Bengals first and then more broadly the North and what the competitors, the rivals did. How happy, first things first, are you with with their draft, of course, heavily defensively focused, which makes all kinds of sense, particularly at DB. So where would you grade the Bengals draft? I think, honestly, it's such a weird feeling now. Or it was just such a weird experience for me waiting that long for a Bengals pick. Mm. And <laughs> right. And being sort of near the end of the draft and waiting to see how the cards fall and not necessarily being one of the more active ones in a draft. But from, as I've already said, I'm, I'm not a college expert, so I'm not going to say that I know everything about the players we drafted, but I've read enough around them. I've watched the highlights yeah. since we have signed them. Yeah, and yeah. it sounds like Daxton Hill, who we got with the 31st pick, is exactly what we needed. You know how much I love Luana Rumo. Um, the Bengals defensive coordinator and his schematic flexibility, the way he changes at half time. You look at both games against Kansas City Chiefs, hold them to three points in the second half, both games. His creativity and his capability to adapt in game, I think is such a critical reason why the Cincinnati Bengals was so successful, especially in the playoffs last year. Mm. And it sounds like Daxton Hill fits that mould perfectly. He's an incredibly flexible defensive back who can play either safety or cornerback and an incredible athlete. So I think that he should be a perfect fit. And I think kind of building youth on the defensive side of the ball is, is we've been able to afford to do that because we finally managed to get success on the offense. We managed to invest well in free agency in the offensive line, which I think is the way to go about it. I think you get more productivity when you're in a win now mode, which the Bengals definitely are mm. from offensive linemen who have been there and done that and have got experience in this league. I think it takes a little bit more time as we've seen with our own Jonah Williams. He took a lot of time to adapt to the league. So I think it's a better way around to kind of invest in the offensive line, which was our other big weakness in free agency, and then to invest in the defensive backs in the draft, because I think you see more productivity and you see more talent and you see more output from younger players. We saw with the likes of Pat Satan. I mean, if we get half of what Pat Satan did last mm. year from Daxton Hill or Cam Taylor Britt, then I think we will have had a great draft. So I, I like what the Cincinnati Bengals have done. I think we've had a great off season. I can't really see a glaring weakness anymore unless all of these rookies are complete flops. Um, mm. So I, I, I'm all in all, I'm like very, very, very confident going into the season, which is such a foreign place for me to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am. I'm. I'm big, big on the Bengals as well. For I think they they taken care of business very well. And this was the upside after the the heartbreak for you in LA was they they'll be back. They'll be back, and I, I really feel they will. Of course, a lot of that is dependent on what the teams around the division have done. There's quite a lot of buzz about the Ravens at the moment mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the draft in particular and Carl Hamilton in particular. I mean, we talked about this, Ben and I got into it, a classic example of 
wild overreaction to a combine, a 40 yard time. I think it's as simple as that, but I do think in, in the sense, I don't think lots and lots of front offices will have written him off because of that. But I think it does have an impact for sure for many of them sensibly or otherwise. Everybody loves that. They're already talking on the Ravens own website about how he's a defensive rookie of the year fave and, you know, mm. they're getting all in, but of course they've got other issues uh, across the team. Particularly, I think there are questions offensively uh, in terms of where they're at there as well. Who's the biggest rival, do you think, right now, based on free agency and the draft, to the Bengals for the division? Is it the Ravens? I definitely think it is the Ravens because who knows what's going on at the Cleveland Browns right now. That's another organisation that has managed to take what seemed to be like their most positive position in a decade and turn it into an absolute farce and an absolute... I mean, who knows how many games is Deshaun Watson going to play this season? I don't even want to guess. Like, nobody actually knows. Will Baker Mayford play for them if he doesn't play? So, I mean, then who's starting for them? Is is Case Keenum still there? I don't even know who their third choice is now for the Cleveland Browns. So they don't know who's going to be their starting quarterback. They've got a lot of changes on that offense, especially in the wide receiver room. Brissette's Brissette's their number three. And they got Josh Dobbs on their roster as well. So what the that's quite interesting. Or the odds of Jacoby Brissett starting week one for Cleveland? Yeah, that is that is that is actually a really good. That's an interesting one. <clears throat> I mean, he almost it's almost certain that Deshaun Watson won't start week one, but yeah. it depends whether or not Baker Mayfield will. But it doesn't sound like he will, considering what he said on podcasts in recent weeks about the way the organization has treated him. It doesn't sound like he's up for winning the job back, and especially when they've guaranteed that much money to Deshaun Watson. I don't think. What gonna... happens though if they don't deal Baker because they're on the hook for his salary anyway, right? And so he's in the he will have to, uh, unless he wants to be in breach of his contract, will have to turn up for training camp. Will mm-hmm. then have to play if they ask him to play. Otherwise, he's in breach of contract. So, work. I mean, he might just say, "Well," <laughs> and walk away. But I just don't think. I don't think he would. I think there is. How surreal is that? If Baker more likely to start week one, Baker or Brissett? Brissett. Oh, I think so too. I think they'll do a deal. With someone will. Someone will come in for. But that's, yeah. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you've got the Garoppolo and obviously I think Dan Hans was pointing out either on their pod or um, in his column that the, the whole, the op for Garoppolo has obviously affected his market market value and, and the deal there. But he is around, Baker's around and there's a very narrow window now for who's, I mean, Carolina have made their play. I don't know. I don't know if either, is there is unless there's an injury, right? Of course that changes. Yeah, of course. If there's not, Baker and Jimmy G starting week one. <laughs> that would be crazy. Wow. That would be absolutely... If Jimmy G starts week one, that would be absolutely nuts because of literally they basically said goodbye to him on the field when they lost the NFC Championship. Yeah, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea of him still starting week one would also suggest a lot of things about Trey Lance, I think, about what mm. that organisation did. But it's, I mean, so I think, and then the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think are in a bit of a transition phase, don't you? Yeah. Like, I think realistically, yeah. Kenny Pickett's not going to start. They're going to start with Mitch Trubisky. Obviously, they've got George Pickens. They've obviously still got Deontay Johnson, Pat Frymuth, another great tight end. So like, I think their offence has pieces, but I don't think that even with a great defense, the likes of TJ Watt, that they are at the same level the Cincinnati Bengals are right now. The Baltimore Ravens are without a shadow of a doubt the main competitors, in my opinion, as mm. as of right now, from what I know right now. But but that slightly it was weird because you felt like the draft, they did really, really well in their choices. They always seem the Baltimore Ravens 
to just be in the right place at the right time. The right player always seems to uh, fall to them and they always seem to be able to get great value. I don't know what it is about them, but they sometimes seem to be playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. And they did really well. I think Kyle Hamilton, from what I've seen, he's one of the few players that I've really read up on and heard a lot about. And he seems like a great, a great player. But then the whole Hollywood Brown thing at the same time was almost like they went sort of one step forward, two steps back. Because right. it basically suggested to Lamar, I don't know what that was in terms of like an organizational move. I think they got great value for him. Don't get me wrong. But Lamar Jackson being upset about that. I mean, Hollywood Brown had a great start to the season last year when Lamar Jackson was throwing and playing really well before he got injured. And he really fell off during the latter stage of the season when they had Huntley playing. Yeah. And I think Jackson still believed that he could have a lot of success with Hollywood Brown. And especially when you look at their receiving room now, obviously Sammy Watkins isn't there anymore. They've still got Mark Andrews and they could probably throw to him every single play, but that's still not necessarily a sustainable model, yeah. especially if I Andrews mean, gets injured. Exactly. Look at that. You got Rashad Bateman, I guess they're hoping yeah. for a, a big sophomore year from him. Duvernay, and they've got Mark Andrews as well. So it's, I mean, it's one of the weaker 100%. receiving courses in the, in the league, let alone in, in the, in the division in the, and the conference. Yeah, that is, that is concerning. So I think it's a, it's shaped pretty well for for the the Bengals, particularly with the Browns' dysfunction coming back. Let's wrap on one more question for uh, us from Twitter. Uh, actually, just on that, um, just to jump back because I've just noticed as I'm scrolling through because we put a video out and we use our social channels to put videos out through the week. So keep your eyes peeled for that, and it's a reason to follow. Uh, Stephen Heap. Uh, responded me and ben were talking about it on the last show that the deal uh the dealing of hollywood brown ben was not a fan of it and stephen heap said uh, it was a bad move from the ravens that came out of nowhere why would you trade away one of your strengths uh and that seems to be the sentiment from a lot of you in terms uh, of that because the reason why they did it is because they are an organization who's clearly forward thinking and i think that there's, a, there's no doubt that the Cardinals overpaid for Hollywood Brown as a player, as an entity, mm. because what we found out with the Hopkins news subsequently was that the Cardinals were actually quite desperate mm-hmm. and they were also desperate to keep Kyle Murray happy after all of his antics earlier on this offseason. And Hollywood Brown was obviously at Oklahoma with Kyle Murray and they had a lot of success together mm. when they were playing together. So I think that that is... The reason why the Ravens traded him was because the 23rd pick was great value for Hollywood Brown, who I guess if you were going to draft him now, you wouldn't say that he's, from what we've seen from him so far in the league, you'd probably say he's a second round talent. I don't think you would say he's a first round talent from what we've seen so far from him in the league. So I think that's the only reason why I understand why the Baltimore Ravens did what they did. Mm. My only issue with it is they don't seem to, so far, I mean, obviously there's still time to go, but they don't seem to have had a plan B or be able to find a solution to the issue, if that makes sense, because you can't just trade away one of your major pieces in a very, very shallow receiving core without having like a backup plan unless with having jk dobbins and gus edwards coming back they're just going to run the ball every single play which is quite possible uh yeah you mentioned deandre hawkins let's end on that because i know you've got a hard out uh propos got to get to a five-a-side game so i mean hard out you've got to have your priorities 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 uh the deandre hopkins suspension so six games for violating the uh pd uh rule Two questions for you. Fair punishment. And how many games will this cost the Cardinals next season, do you think? So, uh, two very good questions. I think the first question, we've discussed this 
off air. I think it's it's mm. relative, isn't it? It depends what he was taking, how much of it he was taking, how long he's been taking it for. His agent seems to believe that it was something that he was unaware of when he was taking it, but he's always going to say that. They so, always say that. They always say that. So, <laughs> it's yeah, a supplement so, I didn't realise. You know. exactly. And I'm not saying that it wasn't, but I mean, they always say that. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think you've got to apply context to every single situation, and I don't know the deeper context or the wider context of this situation with John J. Hopkins. But at the same time, the one thing that we both agree on now, I think, is that you can't ban DeAndre Hopkins for six games for taking PEDs, which is essentially directly cheating in a sport, or that's what they've at least put it down as the law, like you are mm. cheating in that game and have Calvin Ridley being suspended for a whole year for co- putting a couple of bet builders on when he's not yeah. even playing and he's struggling <laughs> with mental health. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. that you like. Honestly, I understand that you've got to have... You can have a blanket rule about gambling because of the issues it could lead to going down the line. But I think the Calvin Ridley case was one where you can apply relevant context and he wasn't playing at all. I don't think he, any of the teams he betted on really included the Atlanta Falcons. It, they were very small bets. There was nothing really shady about them whatsoever. That rule is created to stop people match fixing. And there was absolutely no indication that Calvin Ridley was doing that by any sense of the word whereas what you're saying with John J Hopkins is is there is no matter what his agent said there's a likelihood of intent there for him to try and get an advantage on his competitors which is exactly what they don't want they promote parity more than anything so if you're saying that John J Hopkins is only going to miss six games because of that and Cam really has to miss a whole year especially what he's already been through mm-hmm. that's the way you're going to treat that player if you're really focusing on player welfare that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever i think if anything they would probably they should probably be reversed those two, in my opinion, if you're going to if you're going to treat PEDs the way they probably should be treated, if you don't want people cheating and if you're going to consider what Calvin Radley really actually did in the wider context. Second point, answer your second question. Actually, just on that, I want to just yeah. chime in with Greg Hardy is, is one of the many examples of players that have been suspended for domestic abuse and egregious behavior. Now, Hardy was... Uh, originally suspended I had to go back and look this up for 10 games originally but it was commuted to a four game sentence after the NFLPA appealed it so if you want to and I know it's not as simple as putting it in precise context that was seven eight years ago whenever it was but DeAndre Hopkins gets banned for six games for taking a performance and you're right let's look at the the, the detail and might change it a little bit but even if he was knowingly shooting anabolic steroids mm. into his eyeballs how has he got a two game a band that's two games more than greg hardy doing what he did to his i mean it's just ridiculous why the nfl are not absolutely no nonsense dogmatic on situations like domestic abuse is baffling and tragic and they've got to sort that out it's ridiculous to have a player banned for a year as he said because he's put a few punts on and then a player banned for a few games who's beaten up his girlfriend his wife ridiculous do they have any justification for that do you know what i mean do they have any justification for how long each ban is because that seems that seems absolutely crazy to me I guess they look at precedent and that's self-perpetuating to a degree. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm presuming, and again, I don't, I, I'm just speculating here, but I'm presuming that the Hardy incident, for example, back in the day was the NFLPA lobbying and arguing, well, why has he had such a severe punishment when this guy didn't get it for a similar incident mm. and self-perpetuates? They've just got, you know, they've got to hold firm uh, with it. Uh, and and you're, you're right. It gets difficult when you're looking at different types of, transgression and uh, and even within the transgression itself different levels of severity within 
but I mean, I don't think anybody, anybody in their right mind would have any issue with a player being suspended for a significant amount of time if it's very, very clear that they have been guilty of, of something like domestic abuse. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a no-brainer. The second, I have very abstract morality, yeah, like laws. Do you know what I mean? It seems to be like very much kind of, I don't know, particularly what, particularly when. A superstar or a or a, a starter is involved, as opposed to mm. you know a practice squad guy. Just go and go and drill down into that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, if you want inconsistency. Second point: How much is it going to affect them on the field? Oh yeah, I mean you can't you can't emphasize enough how much it's going to affect them on the field. You saw the impact on the absence of DeAndre Hopkins last season when he went out injured. You saw if you look at the statistics, Kyle Murray's QBR dropped significantly while Hopkins wasn't playing. His mm. yards per attempt dropped significantly when Hopkins wasn't playing and Cardinals amount of points scored dropped significantly when Hopkins wasn't playing. And if you think that Hollywood Brown is going to um, be able to replace that or replicate that, then I think you're living in a bit of a dream world. Mm. Although what I do think they could do is adapt the offense a little bit. And I think Cliff Kingsbury has to, because that's what he didn't do last year in season. And I think his job should be under a little bit more scrutiny than um, it necessarily is right now. I don't see why they think it's fair for Cliff Kingsbury to be paid if Carla mm. Murray is not going to get paid. I don't understand how that's worked that way around when I think Carla Murray's definitely had a better impact on this team than Cliff Kingsbury has. So I think they'll have to adapt. They drafted a tight end quite high. So I think what they'll try and do is probably run the ball a little bit more, go sort of bigger up front because they'll play him alongside Zach Hurts, use James mm. Conner a little bit more. And that may like have the opportunity to open up the deep ball, which obviously means you're utilizing Hollywood Brown Mm. where his strengths lie. So I think they could adapt. They could change the way they play. And that could sort of paper over the cracks slightly. But at the mm -hmm. same time, like, I think you're you're losing significant amount of points, significant amount of output, significant amount of productivity when you don't have Hopkins on the field. He's one of the best receivers in the league. Of course you're mm. going to. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, that's a wrap. Propo, go get to your five-a-side game. Mm -hmm. Good luck. I hope it goes well. When are you coming to play in our Sunday game again? You're going to do that soon. You're going to rope you in for that. Yeah, you do need to do all that. I got um, you got your regular. You got yeah, your regular I do one. need to do that. I've got my car back up in London now, so I can yeah. actually do that. Although that was big Australian guy who got really angry at me for tackling too hard. Still yeah, he does play occasionally, so you got to be careful. I'll keep an eye out on the on the lineups, and we can know he's not there. Then we'll get you in. Alternatively, we can get you down with OC that game. So he's just got your back if it kicks off. Yeah, exactly. That's why I would I would prefer that. To be fair, we need to get OC on as well because I played with OC a couple of times recently. He's gonna we're gonna get him on soon. I saw J Bell for lunch last week as well. J Bell's coming soon as well. Lots of great guests coming your way, gang. So uh, keep it with us. Big shout out to everybody uh, that has taken time to review us as well. A lot of a lot of love being shown uh, on different platforms, which we massively appreciate. Um, so keep those coming in because it helps uh, spread the word, spread the word of the show, helps us with our sponsors as well. Shout out to DraftKings, collegefootballisland.com. Make sure you get your tickets for that as well, collegefootballisland.com. That on general sale now. A lot of you have got in touch saying you already have. Raider Lee tweeted us saying uh, he is locked and loaded. We're going to be out there for the game. Lots of fun things coming up there as well. So it is all happening right here on the end. Podcast Network.